Welcome into the Double Check Podcast. I am Colin. And I am Brett. And this is episode 13. We are very grateful to you for listening, however you may be listening and wherever you are, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure and rate us, review us, give us five stars. Don't be a hater now. Uh, Brett, have you heard uh, any feedback that we've gotten on the episode so far? We've done a, we've done a dozen. Today's going to be the Baker's Dozen. That today will be the Baker's Dozen. I guess that's a positive way of looking at it instead of it being 13 and being unlucky. But uh, as far as feedback, uh, I mean, I'm getting feedback every day from friends and family. Uh, people particularly liked our Christmas episodes right before Christmas happened. Uh, they really enjoyed those, especially Christmas from Babylon. I got lots of good comments from that. People interested to hear how their Christmas traditions came about, and a little bit disturbed actually. But uh, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, I was I was disturbed in uh, in doing some of that research. Well, but. whenever you double check your your thinking on life, theology, culture, I mean, <laughs> you never know some, what you're gonna find. You never know what you're gonna find. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I thought the most interesting piece of feedback was uh, I came to church uh, with you and your family a couple weeks ago and found out that your your mom listens to the podcast. At least she said she did and was like very excited about it. Told me I was doing a great job. And then afterwards... She must be Team Colin. Well, she might be Team Colin because... <laughs> Afterwards, you told me that she never said a w- word one to you about the podcast. <laughs> no, she hasn't talked to me too much about it. So, but. but she's a very kind lady. She might have just been being sweet to me because she didn't really know what else to. No, say. but she's also very genuine. So if she yeah, that's uh, true. if she appreciated something, she really did appreciate it. That's true. I could see that. All right. Well, should we get to it here? Yeah, let's get to it. All right. So um, today it is your turn to flip the coin. Yes. I and hope hopefully, you can actually flip it. Yes. Hopefully I can actually flip it. All right. And it's going to be more difficult because I actually have a nickel. A nickel. A yeah, we don't have a quarter. <laughs> we we came into the studio to record and we were like, dang it, nope, nobody has a, a quarter. What are we going to do for the coin flip? We had to scrounge up and we came up with a nickel. So we'll yeah. see how this so works. So here's how here, here it goes. I'm going to flip and you call. Ready? Tails. And it is tails. Yes, tails never <laughs> fails. Um, what do you want to do, Colin? What do you want to do? I'm going to go for it. All right, go for I, it, I man. I defer a lot, but I feel like this is one that I, I feel really passionate about, so I just want to go for it. Yeah, um, it. Today, I want to uh, sort of branch out a little bit, and I'm going to put aside dealing with issues surrounding church culture or theology in general just for a moment. Um, There are some more things that we will deal with on those subjects in the future, but just for this episode, I want to comment on culture, and specifically on the technology in our lives, because today I want to talk about a tech company that is a major giant in the industry, but in my view is extremely overrated, and it's in fact my opinion that this is the literal worst of all tech companies in the world. I'm talking, of course, about Apple. Now, I understand that right now you may be listening to this episode on Apple Podcasts or using your Apple device, so this is one that may stir the pot a little bit with some of our listeners. But let me begin by saying I am not saying these things blindly. I previously was an Apple user. I used a MacBook, I had an iPod, I did a lot of my college work on an iMac desktop. 
But when I came to realize some of the things that I'm about to share with you, I realized what garbage Apple actually is, and I ditched it. So without further ado, here are the seven things about Apple's products and about the Apple Corporation that, in my opinion, make it the worst tech company among the titans of the tech industry. Number one, Apple is a straight-up copycat. They are not terribly innovative with new features, so what they do instead is they copy features that other tech companies have already put on their products, and then they market them to Apple loyalists in a way that makes them feel brand new. For example, the Photos app in iOS 10 uses AI to manage your photos, and it was marketed as a new convenient way to store and manage the pictures that you take. Except there was nothing new about it. Google's Photos app had been doing the exact same thing since almost two years prior. Other examples would be unlocking your phone with face recognition on the iPhone X and wireless charging on the iPhone 8. Both of these were features that Apple introduced with the much hoopla release of their phones, except both were features that Samsung had already had on their products for two to three years before Apple put them out. And sometimes Apple doesn't even copy. They just straight up use other companies' tech in their own products and pass the cost along to the consumer. One of the more heavily advertised changes on the newest iPhones has been the move from LCD to OLED screens for improved color and picture quality. But do you know who makes the OLED screens that Apple uses? Samsung. So Apple has to mark up the products they sell to you because they're buying the screen on the product from their main competitor. That's how you end up with an iPhone that costs over $1,100 before tax. When you could just buy an, a, a Samsung phone and get the same screen, actually you could get an AMOLED screen, which is even better, without the markup. Oh, my dear Apple-using friend, Apple is not giving you any new technology. They're giving you technology that is practically obsolete and making it feel new. Number two, when Apple copies the technology from other companies, all too often they copy really poorly. In fact, Apple has flat out failed many times when co copying other companies' tech. For instance, they tried to copy Google's GPS system, Google Maps, with their own Apple Maps. Well, Apple Maps was garbage. It was riddled with bugs, and it did more harm than good. The same is true for when Apple copied Google Weather with their own Apple Weather, which is flagrantly inaccurate and super glitchy. For a company that mostly copies other businesses' innovations, they're not even that good at copying. They're like the kid in school who tried to copy someone else's homework, but in trying to change it enough to make it seem original, they just got the answers all wrong. Number three, Apple charges ridiculous prices. They price their smartphones, for instance, between $700 and $1,100 for a new device. Now, this is often the biggest complaint about Apple right off the bat, but I'm placing it third behind the previous two in the hopes that you may realize that it's not nearly worth the price tag. Because for $1,000, you could buy a grade A smartphone from Google or Samsung, 
even if you have to buy one that's one or two generations older, maybe even refurbished, you're not going to miss out on any features, as points one and two hopefully demonstrated, and you'll still have enough money left to buy accessories and multiple chargers for it, a new outfit, and lunch at Wendy's. Apple products are simply not worth the price tag. Which brings us to number four, which is that Apple products are not only overpriced, but they're insanely overhyped as well. There is a predictable cycle to almost all Apple product launches. A leak shows off some amazing new features for the product. Apple then reveals the product at a tech show, and the hype machine gets all too real. But then the product launches, and Samsung, Google, and Microsoft all go, bruh, these features ain't new. We been had that crap for years. And we do it better anyway. The Apple product then turns out to be a flop, and the community gets outraged. Rinse and repeat next October. Most of Apple's products fail to reach the level of the hype set by the public interest in getting the new iPhone, MacBook, or whatever it is. Now, I will say, when Apple first launched the iPhone, it was groundbreaking, it was new, and it was innovative. But that was almost 12 years ago now. Apple's competitors have now not only caught up to them, They've surpassed them in innovation and quality. So what's left for Apple is an average product that never lives up to the hype and costs way more than it's actually worth. Number five, they are cheating their customers. Late in 2017, the Apple Corporation admitted to slowing down older versions of iPhones whenever a new iOS comes out. Instead of improving the battery life of the iPhones through software updates or cache cleaning features, the company just chooses to downgrade the device in the hopes that consumers will get so frustrated with the slowdown that they'll just go buy a newer Apple device. This is clearly a cheat from Apple, and they've even faced lawsuits over it. Now, of course, Android devices get bogged down over time, too. But it's not something that the producers do intentionally, and most companies offer solutions for it. Samsung, for instance, allows you to activate a designer mode in the phone settings, which enables you to clear your cache, customize animations, and make other modifications which speed it back up. So you don't have to buy a whole new device. As a consumer, I personally buy smartphones in the hopes that they will last a very long time. But if that lifespan is only about a year before the OS irreparably begins to slow down, it's not worth it to me. Number six, Apple's innovations are really inconveniences the more you look at it. Apple tries so hard to be unique and different but in the end, they just look stupid. Some examples are the removal of the audio jack on the iPhone 7 or the extremely inconvenient touch bar on the MacBook Pro. Removing the audio jack, for instance, didn't really do anything to improve the product. What it did do is make it so that Apple users have to have an annoying and stupid dongle with them at all times or make sure their Bluetooth headphones are always charged preferably for Apple, 
those would be a pair of Apple AirPods. Which brings me to my final and most irritating point of all, number seven, Apple tries as hard as it can to make it so that their products are only compatible with their products. If you have an iPhone, you better also have a MacBook or you will struggle to transfer files to your computer. And you better have an iPad or your photos and videos won't be available on your tablet. And you better have an Apple Watch because your phone won't communicate with a Galaxy Watch. And so on and so forth. What this means is that if you buy one Apple product, you have to switch to Apple for all the technology in your life. Even your chargers have to be the Apple design because Apple doesn't use a generic micro USB cable that all other tech companies use that you can buy anywhere for $2. You have to go and spend $8 to get an Apple charger. This severely limits your options. You cannot have a Samsung phone with a gateway laptop and an Asus tablet and a Fossil smartwatch and expect any of them to be compatible with your iMac desktop. In other words, you cannot shop around for the best product with the best features for the best price. You just have to buy Apple if you want all your devices to be connected. Period. So why, with all of its problems and all of its limitations, is Apple still one of the major leaders in the tech industry? Well, for one thing, they are very good at marketing. They make you believe that their products are groundbreaking and cutting edge, when in reality, they're just recycling the ideas that other companies have already come out with. Also, the ease of use makes them very, very popular. Apple products are extremely user-friendly. And while Samsung, Microsoft, and Google products are inherently better technology with more capabilities that can do more, they also come with a greater learning curve. And many people would rather not spend the time learning how to operate a device, even if in the end, that device is going to have more capabilities. Apple thrives on making products that are so easy to use even a toddler or an old person can figure them out. Their slogan might as well be iPhone, the smartphone you can give your grandma. But to me, Apple products are too restrictive, too overpriced, too overhyped, and too far behind the other industry leaders for me to even mess with them. In other words, Apple is crapple. Done. <laughs> okay, so my family, meaning my wife and I, are an Apple family. So just so all of our audience knows, we are an Apple family, and we share calendars, all sorts of stuff. The convenience is fantastic. And I know that you can set it up Google Calendar and all this stuff, but it, it, it really is not as easy. It really is a lot easier to just have the Apple uh, devices where everything automatically syncs. So I want to I want to start at the end here. Whenever you're talking about convenience, what is wrong with having a product that is so easy a toddler and and a grandma can use it? What is wrong with that? I mean, 
if that's all you're looking for, that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that if you just want something that's that's easy to use. It doesn't have more capabilities than, say, a, a Samsung device. Yeah, I'm you not saying still, it might have less capabilities. You You can still do all the same things, but to me, at least, I'm willing to learn how to do something. I'm willing to learn how to figure it out. The ease of use is not as important as freedom as a consumer. So if, if I have a device that's easy to use and then every other device I have, if I want it to all sync, has to be that brand, I'm now limiting my, my choices in the marketplace. It's like, it's like I said, you can't have an Apple phone and go out and get a gateway desktop and have them be able to sync. They don't, they don't talk to each other. You can't shop around. You are therefore basically saying, well, I don't want to shop around. I don't want to find whatever the best product is at the best price. I just want this one brand. And I'm just, I'm just not about limiting my options in the marketplace like that. Yeah, I guess it, I think you're coming at it from a consumer that wants individual choices at the smallest level you can possibly get. And I guess the where, uh, no, I wouldn't say that I'm a hardcore Apple, but if I were a hardcore Apple person, I would say, well, we're making a consumer choice at a higher level, just not with individual devices. We're, we're paying for uh, the... Not not the brand, but the the family of products. We're buying in. We are making a consumer choice for the family of products. So I don't I don't I don't think we're limiting our options. We still have the option to go and uh, go with a different family of products or mix and match if we want to outside of Apple. But we are making a consumer choice to be all in with Apple. And I, I don't see what the, I mean, it's just the same thing at two different levels. Well, to me, the reason I wouldn't make that consumer choice to just be all in with Apple is, like I said, you're overpaying. Uh, in my opinion, you're, you're paying a higher price for a product that actually has less capabilities. But like, do, just, do, just, just okay, let's okay, talk about okay, the iPhone okay. for just a second. All right, you can go buy a brand new iPhone X for $1,100 and it'll be fully loaded with all the features. You can go buy a brand new Samsung Galaxy S9 for about $200 less than that. And the Galaxy S9 is actually going to have more features than the product that costs $200 more. So it makes, to me, more financial sense to get the product that has more features at a lower price. So I think that leads me into my second area that I want to probe you at, which is why why do you think you need all sorts of different capabilities? Like, can't you spend your time doing other things and having to teach yourself this this more complicated phone? I mean, at this point, I've been using Android devices for 10 years now, so it's not like it's... It, I've learned them. I, I, I've learned how to figure them out. And also, it really doesn't take that much time to learn. I feel like people just don't want to put the effort into learning it. Like, if you spend 10 minutes on a YouTube video, if you buy, if you buy a brand new Galaxy phone, 
if you spend 10 minutes watching a YouTube video, you now know how to use every device, every feature of that phone. Split screen capabilities, multitasking, everything. So it, it's not like it, you know, you're making it seem like you need to go to Carnegie Mellon and get a, get a computer science degree to figure this thing out. It's really not like that. But that's, I mean, that's the argument is like, oh, they're, they're harder to use. There is a greater learning curve. That's true. But it's not, <laughs> it's not that severe. I, I think you just underestimate how great it is for everything to be convenient. I, th- I just think you do. That, I mean, that I don't have to go look up a YouTube video about how to do something on my iPhone. It, it's much more intuitive. Sure, but your iPhone can't do as much as but a Galaxy I, S9. But who needs, who needs anything more than what the iPhone can get? I'll, I'll tell you who. People who want to use two apps on the screen at the same time. Okay, then they have a problem with their phone. They need to get their head out of their phone a little bit if they have to run two apps at the same time. I'm just saying, all right, I'm going to petition our listener right now, okay? (laughs) Whoever you are listening, have you ever had to use, like, for instance, Christmas just passed, right? I had a list on my phone, a memo pad of, like, my, my shopping list. But I also have the Amazon app. Okay, so I had to go back and forth between the Amazon app and my memo pad to make notes to myself of, like, what I wanted to get, what person, based off of what's on their wish list. Wouldn't it be easier to be able to run both of those devices at the same time on the same screen, not have to switch back and forth to them? You can just see it all right there. That's, That's one feature that's on a Galaxy phone that is not on even the newest iPhone. My iPhone 10 has made this a lot easier, where I can just swipe back and forth between things, keeping the full screen so that I can work. My friend, how do you think I was switching back and forth? Look, I got a and Galaxy S5 that's like five years old, and I can do, that on, do it on that. So that's not impressive to me. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> well, we will leave it in the hands of our listeners. How's that sound? Let, how about you email us, doublecheckpodcast at gmail.com, and let us know what you think about the crapple debate. All, All right. right. <laughs> okay. Where are you going to go next, Colin? Uh, well, I, I am going to get back to um, some things that I think are a little bit more uh, important in terms of our existence. And I'm going to talk uh, about something that we've touched on previously that we never really dug deep into, and that's why should we believe the Bible? Like, we've made appeals to the Bible as this is truth, but we've never really given uh, arguments or reasons for why. So I'm going to try and dig a little bit deeper into that one in our next episode. All right. I'm ready for that one. I've been waiting on that one. Okay, so for today, I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about something that is very tied to the background that I have. See, I, I was a public school teacher for four years. Specifically, I taught music. I was a band director. And so I worked at a high school and I engaged with, with teenagers all the time. And, and now I find myself uh, as a student minister at, at my local church where I work primarily with the middle school and high school students. And so I'm constantly thinking about 
teenagers, how they grow up, how they perceive things, how they learn things, and how they mature. And so obviously I taught in a public school, right? I was a public school teacher. Uh, And I understand the need for schools. They provide focused direction. They provide a concentration of resources. Experts in their subject matter are able to to teach high schoolers, middle schoolers, uh, things that they may or may not be able to get from their parents. I understand the need for schools, but I want to ask you to think with me about how school, although it's good for the focus and for the resources that it provides, is actually a very absurd way of trying to socialize our teenagers, whether they be middle school or high school. And I I like to think about it, the, I heard Albert Moeller say this one time, why are we taking teenagers who are trying to turn into young adults and put them all together in a concrete box with like 15 teenagers to every adult. Like that does not mirror society at all. Now you might have heard it said that that we're an average of the five most influential people in our lives. And whenever we take our teenagers and we put them into this concrete box, as, as Mueller says, where a majority of their interactions are, are not with their parents, are not with people that they necessarily want to grow up to be like, the most influential people in their lives are other teenagers. And of course, those are great relationships and there's, there are ways that, that they learn to interact with one another. But if we want our teenagers to be influenced by people other than people their age, then why are we isolating them for so long every day? And so I've heard about it, uh, I've heard it said another way, where we are a product of our surroundings, right? So let's, let's take people out of the equation. We're a product of our surroundings. Does the modern-day school the building, the structure that we have the kids go through, does it actually mimic society at all in our current day and age? I'd definitely say no. Uh, I just came from being a public school teacher, and now I've, I've made a career change. And I can tell you from firsthand experience as an adult moving from one career to another, one surrounding to another surrounding, that they are not identical at all, right? The, the modern school is made, uh, with, with bells where you switch classes, very concentrated. You're working on one subject here, one subject there. And the fact is that a majority of jobs are not like that anymore. Our schools still mimic the factory mindset where we do one thing here, one thing there, the bell rings, we know it's time to go on. And that's not what the modern workplace is. And it's not just about schools either. I think we've taken this mindset and we've placed it into our churches as well. And I think the number one thing that we see in churches is that we're, we are removing students, even even children, I would think. I think that, that elementary school age kids need to be a part of the service at least a little bit, right? But we are removing, especially our high schoolers, our middle schoolers, out 
of the worship service. We're, we are taking them out of those surroundings that we want them to eventually grow up into, all for the sake of targeting them where they are. Right? And what does that even mean? I, I understand the sentiment behind pulling kids out of the grown-up, quote-unquote, context and, quote-unquote, meeting them where they are. It, it's good in intention, but is it actually helpful? And I, I think not, because if we try to meet students where they are, they, they're progressing on. They're always looking forward. And I'll tell you what, culture is not meeting kids, students, children, where they are. Culture is pushing children, whether they're elementary, middle, or high school, to grow up as fast as they can. And so what is it that that the church is trying to hold them back whenever culture is pushing them forward? They're going to keep moving forward. So why are we trying to hold them back? We should be the ones pushing them even more, being the ones that help them grow up not letting culture help them grow up and then us have to catch up to that. And so what are, what are we to do? Well, I mean, I was an education professional. I'm not an administrator. I'm not a superintendent, nothing like that. So I'm not going to speak into that situation, even though I, I do think that parents can make some, some wise choices whenever it comes to schooling for their, their children. In regards to the church in general, I think we need to have a, more dedicated approach to maturing our children, not just meeting them, meeting them where they are. We need to meet them where they are to be able to relay certain types of truth, but we also need to be pushing them. And that's what we're not doing. We need to have kids worshiping with their families. We need to have kids that are being challenged, hearing things that they don't understand. But if they hear it enough, they will begin to understand that's the only way you grow is by being challenged. And I think the church is uh, currently generally deficient in this regard. All right. So I just have a couple of thoughts. First of all, you talk about what the structure of school looks like for, for kids now. Yeah. Um, and then you transition into talking about what church looks like for uh, kids and, and teenagers and young adults now. And so I want to kind of address each of those areas separately because while the, while I think they're somewhat related, I think that there's also different purposes for those things. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wasn't until it, it wasn't until I was in my young adult years that I realized what school was, public school, you know, K through 12 wasn't really to get me to learn a whole lot. I mean, they gave me some basic skills that everybody need, but the main thing it does is prepare kids to enter the workforce. Um, It conditions kids to go to a building, stay at that building for eight hours, and then go home. And that is, you you talk about how uh, modern workplaces are not specialized, uh, like focus on this area here, this area here, but aren't modern workplaces still for the most part, predominantly, you leave your home in the morning, you go to this building, you're at that building for eight hours, you get lunch in the middle of the day, and then you go home. So, I mean, schools are still conditioning kids for that 
for that model, are they not? Yeah, on a, on a macro level, yeah, the way that you described it. Well, I think what I'm trying to focus in on is on the micro level, which is for this one hour, we are going to do this one thing. Bell rings, we move on. That system was created as a way to mirror the growing industry in, in the late uh, 19th, early 20th, 20th century, where people would work in factories and work on factory lines, and that is the way that everything was set up. And so schools were made to mirror that, and that hasn't changed. Whenever I go to work, I might stay there for eight hours, and I might get lunch in the middle of it, but I'm not doing one thing, the bell rings, and I move on. Someone's telling me to move on and do something. Uh, in my current job, and I would say a majority of jobs that require some level of uh, post-high school education, which is what uh, a lot of high schools push their students to go to. So if they're pushing their students to go and take classes after high school at the college level, then why aren't we preparing them to do something like that? Uh, most jobs like that, including mine, are are not that way. I'm managing uh, projects where uh, things are very dynamic and I have to make lots of different choices and everything's not so clear cut. Now, I would say the same thing is true of, of your job, right? You have, uh, Colin uh, works in finance. And so there are good guidelines in, in your job, right? But it's not always formulaic where you do this, do that, and push them out the door. There are judgment calls that have to be made and you have to manage your own time. No one tells you what to do specifically at what point. I just, I just think we're missing the mark in, in, in that regard. So with that in mind that you think uh, you know, we're missing the mark uh, in terms of not allowing students growing up a little bit more freedom, wouldn't something more along the lines of a Montessori model or a um, child-led educate like a homeschooling type of model where the kid learns what they're interested in I, uh, I wouldn't think, that be more advantageous i'm actually personally not a great montessori fan um for reasons that i won't go into because i have friends that put their kids in montessori it's great for them that that's fantastic i'm not a big fan i think what what i'm advocating more and um what i would rather see is a more like whenever I was talking about church, I was talking about about kids being a part of uh, the adult worship service. Mm -hmm. And in an ideal world, I think that an ideal education system would have students working with adults more often, where they where adults aren't the clear minority, but there's uh, more even dynamic with adults and children working together and more of a mentor-mentee relationship. I think for the socialization part of it, that is preferred, in my opinion. Now, how that works, I don't know. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just spitballing. Well, I think that's a good transition, though, because I did want to ask you a little bit about um, church service. And I think that the thing that you brought up with kids being separated, like... I always think of it in terms of like, what is the biblical model of things? And, you know, I don't, I don't imagine that when Moses 
was reading the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, or when Paul was ministering the gospel to the, the different churches that he went to, that he came out and said, all right, well, all the adults stay in here, and if you're a teenager, you're going to go over to the gymnasium, and if you're a kindergartner, go over to the daycare center, and you don't, you know, you're going to do something else. You're going to do some arts and crafts or something like that, and we're going to, we're all going to talk about this here. They were together. Families were together, um, and I, the point that you brought up about. Um, teenagers, uh, you know, adolescents hearing some things that maybe they don't understand, but it's challenging them to understand it. Do you think that that is reflective of uh, modern church culture not even wanting to challenge adults with things that they don't really understand and push them to know more of Scripture and, and understand more about God? I think this can be couched in a discussion about discipleship very quickly. And I would I would say that the root of this is that uh, we are not taking our, if we want to talk about church service, the main Sunday morning service, if you have it on Sunday, that we are not taking it seriously as the primary vehicle of discipleship, right? We think that we have to meet people where they are, and so for teenagers, that means pulling them out, having a dedicated youth pastor for that specific time, which there's nothing wrong with that if you're not detracting from other things, right? Like, I mean, that's what I do. I obviously think that there's merit in it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. But I don't want to do it at the detriment of other things. It's, it's between meeting people where they are in terms of discipleship and challenging people and meeting as a corporate entire body. The easiest way it flushes out is with our children, but it also flushes out in other ways where um, a new believer comes, we automatically send them to a new believer class, which again, I'm not saying is a bad thing, but if that's the only thing that is helping them be discipled, that's the only thing that we think is helping them be discipled, then we're really missing the mark because I do think that the the local meeting, the corporate gathering of that local church is the primary means of discipleship and meeting people where they are is a part of it, but it's not all of it. Uh, And I think we really stifle growth whenever we think of it that way. Do you have any final thoughts, any, uh, any concluding remarks that you want to, to share? So I'm going to stay in this vein a little bit with with children, uh, but I'm going to go back to uh, some thoughts that I was starting last week in terms of relationships. So I'm going to explore uh, relationships between uh, parents and children, but specifically from the parent to the child. All right, and that's where you're taking us in our next episode? Yep, that's where we're going to go. All right, and because you said where we're going to go. That means we've come to the end of our time together. Uh, We want to thank you so much for listening, uh, wherever you are, however you may be listening. And we definitely appreciate your feedback, uh, whether you send it to us at doublecheckpodcast at gmail.com 
or you just give it to us in person. Personally, I want to thank Brett's mom for giving us such yes. positive feedback. I did really appreciate uh, the, the comments that you made. Uh, but we want to hear from you, wherever you are, whoever you are. Talk to us in person if you know us or send us, uh, send us a comment. Uh, rate and review. and uh, Like us on Facebook on your Apple device. Uh, or on your uh, Samsung device, whatever yeah, your, your preference is. <laughs> uh, but uh, we'll be here next time. We'll see you then. All right. See you.